0: Is an Odyssey original.
1: This is Coronavirus
0: Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. So, Were the COVID booster shots just the start of what's going to become annual? Vaccines to keep our immunity up against the virus? New research out that could provide answers as to how many jabs you might need. And because of our less than stellar response to the pandemic, is the U.S. going to emerge from all of this in a much weaker state when it comes to global competition? We start
1: with the prospects of a fourth booster shot. New studies suggest that three shots of the vaccines, possibly even just two, might be enough to protect most people from serious illness and death for a long time. Dr. Peter Katona is a clinical professor of medicine and infectious diseases at UCLA's Geffen School of Medicine. So, Dr. Will our immune systems require an annual COVID reminder? The Immune system
2: is very complicated. And to measure the effect you want to measure, you can either do it in the laboratory by looking at various parameters like T-cells and antibodies, or you can actually look at clinical responses. You know, people that have a certain degree of number of vaccinations and how well they do. So you can look at all of those things. But there's a huge dearth of information here. We don't know exactly how long this immunity is going to last and how effective it's going to be. Um, It's still an unanswered question. The, The Israelis like to vaccinate people over 60 with a fourth dose. The Swedes like to vaccinate those over 80 with a fourth dose. We've been kind of very careful with CDC not coming out with any specific recommendations until more data is accumulated.
1: Well, you know, I suppose there are some people listening, and they just heard what you said about Israel or, or Sweden, and might be thinking, well, you know, we keep being told that these vaccines are are really safe and they are effective. So why not err on the side of caution and just say to everybody past a certain age, uh, go ahead and get a fourth shot?
2: Well, you can make an argument for that. You know, you, you you'd like to have the data in hand to say it's optimal to vaccinate a fourth dose at four months or at six months or at 12 months. You want to develop some plan based on the science that you know, rather than saying, well, it's safe, so you might as well just go for it. Um, I'm not going to argue against somebody saying, I want a fourth dose, especially if they're elderly. Um, But uh, we still have a lot of information at hand, I mean, we we can measure antibodies, but we don't know how long they're going to actually be effective. We can measure memory T cells and memory B cells, and see how long they're going to remember that you were exposed to something like this. But there's a lot of missing information here. There's a very small chance there's a downside to taking too many vaccinations, but I think that's incredibly minimal
0: do people get too concerned about their antibody levels dropping off though because so much attention was paid to antibodies and this is all like the first thing we learned about Oh, get the antibodies high when you know some of the other diseases and viruses out there you can get that memory the other parts of your immune system can remember even years later so yeah it can get to you but you're going to mount a response to it relatively quickly
2: yeah antibodies are the easiest thing to measure But there's lots of different kinds of antibodies. You can commercially get spike antibodies, for example. Characteristically, the ones that scientists look at in the laboratory are neutralizing antibodies. But there's a whole slew of other antibodies. Some have no value whatsoever in protecting you. So it gets very complicated. And I wouldn't rush because of what's recently come out to all of a sudden make a decision to delay or to get a fourth shot.
1: Uh, you, you mentioned in passing about the small odds of a uh, downside to over-vaccination, and I, I'm guessing that you're referring to. I, and and uh, I'm trying to remember because we did talk about this months and months ago. Uh, it was is it called enhanced immunity?
2: Yeah, I mean that's one way to look at it. Um, you know, you could overstimulate the immune response and maybe get it. Negative reaction, but that's never been proven. It's a theoretical consideration. Um, I'm not sure that it has much value in this argument.
0: What about tailoring some of these future shots, if we have them, to the variants that are going to be around, or at least Omicron, or or maybe what pops up next? Or are we still pretty good with what we've had? Perhaps because it actually elicited a pretty broad response. I mean, we're on like year three, and it's still doing all right.
2: Yeah, we have a pretty good track record with the original vaccine which hasn't been changed by Pfizer or or anybody else so we're doing pretty well with that there are reformulated vaccines in the works particularly between the two mRNA manufacturers but they may be missing the gun I mean you know Omicron is going away maybe there's another variant that will come along and you know it'd be nice to have that prepared and ready to go when a variant comes out, not when the variant is just about to leave us. They're also working on a universal coronavirus vaccine, which if that comes into play, then they won't need to reformulate these vaccines from time to time.
1: Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I mean, if somebody, you know, you were saying before that you wouldn't discourage somebody who perhaps is of a certain age um, to go and get a, a fourth shot. But then what happens if they say, I don't know, in a month they get a fourth dose of the original Pfizer or Moderna, and then, I don't know, two months later, Pfizer or the other companies come out with a reformulated one? I mean, you can do this endlessly.
2: Yeah, I mean, it takes about 100 days from start to finish to get a new, new vaccine that's specific to a variant out and in large enough number, numbers to make, a, make an impact. But as, as, as I said, you're missing the boat here because Omicron is just about on the way out. So it's it's the next variant I worry about more than anything else and what that's going to do to us.
0: Well, and to that point, you know, let's say you, you had your three and then you go in to get your fourth now early, quote unquote, and then they come out with a fourth and then you go back to the pharmacy and you say, why are we on now the fifth line of your cart? <laughs> like, <laughs> how did you do <laughs> this? It's not where you're supposed to be, sir or ma'am. That's right. All right, Dr. Peter Katona there, a clinical professor of medicine, infectious diseases, UCLA's Geffen School of Medicine.
1: With the huge toll of COVID infections and deaths here in the U.S. relative to other industrialized countries hurt our global competitiveness in the long run. That's the worry as the country fitfully attempts to emerge from the pandemic.
0: The thinking goes no other developed country has suffered both the public health and mental health setbacks that Americans have endured.
1: Our partners at KYW News Radio Philadelphia took a closer look at this. Anchor Matt Leon talks with a global health company CEO who argues that many other countries will emerge from the pandemic with populations in much better shape than battered Americans. Sigal
3: Axmond is the founder and CEO of Medics Global, a global medical management company. She recently wrote an op-ed for The Hill about how many other countries, in her opinion, will emerge from the pandemic with populations that have suffered less than the population in the U.S., both in terms of physical and mental health, mainly because of the lack of a vaccine mandate at the federal level in the U.S. We wanted to talk to her about the op-ed and dig into the why. Give a listen. In reading your recent op ed, you talk about how the US is going to emerge from this weaker than other countries and point to the, the lack of a vaccine mandate uh, as a big reason, if not the main reason why. Kind of the, tell me why you think this. What, what, what are your concerns here in the big picture?
4: Well, I think, first of all, in times of crisis, people and nation should unite. And America is, as unfortunately we all know, so divided today. And the voices are so different. And eventually we have seen a lack of consistency. We have not seen one message, but different messages. This pandemic and this crisis has been politicized in a way that is making our nation and the American people weaker. We're not united. We're not together. You have the people who have gotten their vaccinations. You have the ones who haven't. You have the ones who are question-marking, questioning it, and you have the anti-vaxxers. And there is no direction. There has not been one direction. What are some countries you look at how they've been
3: able to enforce a vaccine mandate? And what are there countries you look at as kind of the blueprint?
4: Well, I can give you one, a few examples actually. Look at France. In the beginning, there was a huge vaccine hesitancy, hesitancy and a lot of anti-vaxxers, and the uptake was very low. And then, the, and then the government just decided to introduce a green passport, and they said, well, if you want to go to the theater, you want to be able to go to the restaurant, you want to be able to go to the museum or to work, you need to be vaccinated. We see other countries who actually made it legally required to be vaccinated. Now, I wouldn't go that far, Okay. I am in favor of freedom. I believe people need to have the choice whether to get vaccinated or not, but they have to have a directive. They have to have an incentive to do what is right and responsibly right for themselves, for their health, for their families and their communities. So a green passport, for example, was the right thing, but now it's too late for America to put in a green passport. We're beyond it. We're way beyond the times where a mandate can work or, or a green passport can work. It's right now up to the states, up to the co- corporates, up to companies, employers, to decide whether their people can come to work, vaccinated or not, um, states to decide. We, we were at times where at federal level, the people wanted guidance, leadership, one message, one direction, and and the mandates should have been able to support that need and to take America at the same time to be vaccinated at the highest possible levels. We see Israel, for example, has a very high vaccination rate. Um, It has avoided overwhelmed hospitals. It has managed to contain at the most difficult delta times the pandemic, and then It got really better. Then it had a huge Omicron wave, but hospitals are managing really well, and it has lifted all restrictions. But it has a very high percentage of population that has been vaccinated at the same time. So in order for America to be able to overcome and get out of this in a more structured, organized, way where everyone is at the same time at the same place a lot of people should have been vaccinated at the same time and not have such a difference between different states or different communities different areas that is making america weaker so the division not being united and not walking the same direction altogether in my opinion is weakening and has weakened america how
3: do you mean weakening? Obviously, we've had tremendous loss of life and we continue to have a tremendous loss of life that unfortunately, it seems like people have normalized. Uh, but but past that, past people that are dealing uh, with long term symptoms and problems, how else do you feel this has made the country weaker?
4: So first of all, you know, over 900,000 people, for a lot of people, it's just a number. But for Close, I mean, almost a million people. These are family members, parents, children, brothers, sisters. This is dramatic, Matt. 900,000 people. This is not something I just say and, and, and move on. It's very painful and it's not over. The second thing is long COVID, right? So, long COVID, brain fog, fatigue, depression, I'm not being able to concentrate. All that is going to have a long-term impact. The third thing that we see is, for me, another type of pandemic. So people resigning, the big resignation, people not wanting to work like before, career not being one of the most important things. People want a life Work balance. I really believe, Matt, that this is going to change the face of America because we see already supply chains interrupted. We see inflation going up because of people being at sick leave, not being back in the office because of the resignation, et cetera, et cetera. So we see supply chain um, disrupted. We see inflation going up. Inflation going up, meaning people are going to have to have more money or they will not be able to buy what they used to buy. That's going to affect the economy. If the economy is is affected, that's going to have an effect on every one of us, whether we go to buy groceries or we want to go to a yoga class or we want to buy a present. So this is going to have, in my opinion, a very long-term effect. And the trust in the government for the next crisis, whether it be a pandemic or another issue, I don't think is in a good place. So how ready are we for a next crisis? a political one, a geopolitical one, God forbid, a war or terror uh, issue or another pandemic. When we're divided, when we're not at our strongest, when we don't know where the economy is going, I think this is a really tough situation. And we're in the midst of creating a new America that no one really knows what its face is going to be. I'm still optimistic because I believe in in America. I want to believe in America. But I'm not sure we're going where we would hope to go two years after um such a pandemic
3: I would like to to push on something. You talked about the the work life balance and people changing jobs and stuff, and we've seen all that, but looking at that glass half full, I don't know that I think that's kind of a good thing that if we're kind of having a universal People looking critically and maybe the 60, 70 hour work week isn't good. And and I I just want to do this or I want to pursue something that is not just a job, but something I have passion for. Uh, I actually I personally think that's kind of one of the positive ripple effects we've gotten out of this. It's been painful in the short term. And you talk about supply chains and and things not being as we're used to. But I think in the long term, could that not have good ramifications for the, uh, the the U.S. as a whole? I fully
4: agree with you that this might be a very positive one if we will allow the economy and the consumption system to adapt. So, if the American people are gonna agree to need and want less, that's gonna be fine. But if we continue to want to consume, to buy, to dress up to over consume maybe right and overeat and overgo out and overspend i mean we could say overspend but at the pace that america has been going in the last few years then there's going to be a problem because if you change your work-life balance then clearly for companies to be able to provide their products, their services, they will need more employees because employees will work less. More employees, meaning higher expenses, higher expenses, meaning you have to increase the price of what you produce and sell it at a higher price. That means different supply chains, different, maybe you can produce less if you don't want to increase um, the number of employees um, you engage with. So we need to rebalance the whole way of how companies are structured, how they spend, how much it's going to cost them to reach to a customer, how much money will that customer have to spend, and how is is the consumer going to continue to drive the economy? That's a very big question. So the economy is going to have to adapt, and corporates are going to have to adapt to this new. American person who wants to maybe live better, the good point, and and that's an absolute good point, is that Americans want to be healthier. And and that is, for me, the number one positive outcome of this pandemic. People want to live healthier. They want to engage in more sports and exercise. They want to have a healthier diet. They they want to do their checkups um, in a more organized way. So that's very positive.
1: We end today's coronavirus daily with a story about the immune systems of our kids and why they are likely better at protecting children against COVID-19 than our adult versions. Researchers are getting closer to figuring out why the novel coronavirus has on the whole produced much milder illnesses in children versus adults. Unlike respiratory viruses such as the flu, COVID doesn't hit children nearly as hard as it does adults or the elderly. And it might come down to something called innate immunity in kids. Innate immunity coordinates the body's initial response against an infection.
0: You can think of it as the body's first line of defense against any viral invaders. As we get older, innate immunity becomes weaker. That might be the key to great susceptibility to critical COVID infections. But there's another angle the scientists are looking at. The thinking is because the COVID virus is likely the first one of its type most children will experience, while us adults have endured plenty of coronavirus infections, usually in the form of common colds. That might dole the immune response times in us while the kids' immune systems, they're geared up for a fight right from the gate. You'll find this Odyssey original on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.